Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. You know what it smells like in here? Mm, what? You smell it? Wow, it smells like a new five-star review. <laughs> you got me with that one. It does. I'm like, it smells a little, uh, I don't know. Like victory. <laughs> it stinks of victory in this five-star review. Let's read it. Quick. <laughs> a Deadly Haunting by Wheaton One. Thank you for putting these podcasts together for paranormal junkies like me. I just finished listening to A Deadly Haunting, the interview Mike had done with Deborah Moffat, and I really liked it. This is the first podcast I've ever listened to, and to be honest, the first I've ever heard of a podcast. Up until now, I didn't know what a podcast was. Your show, See You on the Other Side, deals with many aspects of the paranormal, and I'm excited to listen to all the interviews you have done so far. I highly recommend this podcast to anyone interested in the paranormal. Thanks for introducing me to your show, Mike. Well, thank wow. you. Yes, yes, I second that. Thank you. Yeah, that's really that's nice. a really enthusiastic review. Wow, that took some that took some typing. It some did, work. and somebody who's never tried a podcast before had to that's actually exciting. go, you know, figure it out. Yeah, you know? and and hopefully they'll find Many, tons of entertaining hours of podcasts. I know. So. I think I don't even. I hardly listen to the radio anymore. To be I, honest. Yeah, I don't either. Except for when I forget to bring my my phone or. Right. Which is never. <laughs> right. No, I, I mean, it's like, because you, you'll try to be like, okay, well, what's on? And it's like, wow, nothing. Or or it'll be like, oh, a song that I've heard 8,000 times before. Yeah, that's, so. I mean, that's what gets me. Oh, Led Zeppelin's on the classic rock station again. I didn't <laughs> know they played Led Zeppelin on the classic rock station, huh? Shocking. Shocking. Well, I mean, there's parts of radio I love. I love the fact that it's live. I love the fact that you are hearing somebody from across the town talk at the same time and there's certain aspects that there's certain live community aspects of it that it's like you think about all the other people listening hearing the same thing you are at the same time but then i think am i just living this romantic notion Uh, of radio from the 1970s or something like that like like right no i i think the same thing too um because i my favorite part of radio is the dj's or was the DJs. Right. But that slowly, because like you were saying, you, knowing that they're sitting in your city and they're talking and you're in the same, you know, I don't know, underneath it, the same big sky. <laughs> it makes um, you feel not alone. Right. And and yeah. other people are listening and people are calling in and inter- interacting and they're talking about things happening in the city at that time. But now that they keep transitioning things over to the like robotic this or the syndicated like yeah. the stuff where it's it's like it's it's during the day and I mean there was just something to it that you knew there was a live body in that station talking to you saying those words as you were hearing them even too because nowadays even the stations that have real DJs they'll record they'll pre-record the section and oh, yeah. just queue up you know the next five hours and they of, won't even be there and right. it, i know it saves money it's just not the same yeah. um and you know if you want to you know a good movie to watch if you like to think about that radio of not being alone a good horror movie to watch that i think you guys would enjoy is uh john carpenter's the fog Ooh, i've never so seen that it's a no, it's a great one right around 1980 um adrian barbeau at her sexiest um and it's just a really uh, it's a. It's first of all, it's scary. But number two, like one of the main characters is a DJ. 
Whoa. Okay. Cool. And so it and and she's like live casting, not like live cat, but you know she's sure. bro- she's broadcasting, I yeah. guess, um, when these things are going on. And like so it, sleepless in Seattle. I, I guess like sleepless in Seattle, except with uh, zombie pirates. Ooh. Okay, that's totally not like Sleepless in Seattle, Correct. But, but that's cool. Correct. So interesting. That's, that's a good one to check out. And All and right. speaking and so that that takes place in a small town in California. Uh, that movie, and our episode today is about a small town in Wisconsin ah, by yes the water, mm-hmm. like the fog. Um, and you know, this is a topic that's close to my heart. Why is that, Mike? Well, it's because um, this is about things that are happening or that happened in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And I know why that place is close to your heart, but maybe you can share with the listeners. Okay. So I lived in La Crosse for two years, and that's where I had my first job after college, was at the TV station there. I directed the morning news. I remember that. Yes. That was a long... That was an early wake-up call kind yes, of job. Yes, it was. Yeah. I had, to, I had to be in at 4 a.m. every oh, day. Oh. And so that's, uh, that's broadcasting. You know, that's you a coffee. Lots oh, of Mountain Dew, huh? That, well, I used to drink like damn near a pot of coffee every day. <laughs> like I would just be like, ah, you know, by the time I, I was done. I shouldn't scoff at that. That's pretty much where I'm at right now, <laughs> yeah. actually. I, you know, that was my eye opener and just it was. Um, but so, so La Crosse, Wisconsin is a town of about uh, 50,000 people and it's on the Mississippi River. And it's beautiful. It is a beautiful place. It's right on the Wisconsin border. So on one side of the river is La Crosse. Uh, Mississippi, and one side of the river is Minnesota, and then maybe a few few miles away is Iowa. So it's really right in that corner where Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa all meet. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's a, a lot of fun to the town. There's a university there, and uh, there's a, you know there's plenty of cool, interesting people and venues. And our, I mean, we used to play there all, fairly frequently, especially yeah. when I lived there. And they also have the beautiful bluffs. Mm-hmm. So you can climb up there and get a nice view. We've got some uh, pictures from when we played up on that. that yes, we did time. six six shows, six shows in six states in one day. We started in Lacrosse at dawn, and that was so cool because the view from the bluff at dawn was, I mean, insane. And I wouldn't have believed it if you would have told me. I'd be like, "Well, I would have heard of that already by <laughs> now. I've lived in Wisconsin my entire life, and I saw it, and I'm like, oh." I've got a tear in my eye. Right, because you're seeing Wisconsin and Minnesota and Iowa and everything from up there. Yeah, and, and the river. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really something else. So there's a lot of good parts of that town. I mean, there's a lot of tough parts, too. I mean, when I was there, a bunch of the industry went away. Mm-hmm. You know, G. Highland right. Brewing Company closed. Right. And uh, Lacrosse Footwear closed. Like, these big factories kind of closed down. And that, that changed the, the town, too, in a, mm-hmm. in a big way. Because in, in a towns like that... Um, you know, a couple of bread big, and butter. A couple of big manufacturing jobs that where everybody makes their money. Yeah. yeah so that's sad to see that. But happen. It's, it's a beautiful city, a lot of fun, a lot of good people. And uh, and I used to work in the news there. And so uh, when I first was moving there, my mother said to me, Well, I know you like to go out and party, so watch out for the serial killer. Don't don't go by the river at night. <laughs> That's and, a normal mom warning. And Watch I'm out like, for the serial killer. And I had never heard of this. Don't forget to look both ways when you cross the street and look out for the serial killer. Because <laughs> yeah, this, I, I, this I was 23 when I moved up. Okay, right. Yep. So I was 23 years old, and that's the age of these young guys who um, find their way into the river. And so it's been, um, you know, over the past. It started in the in the mid 90s. 
Right. And there's been a dozen since then. I mean, up Gosh, until I think the, a, the last one was in 2010 that they know of. Wow. That's a pretty long time span. Of that it's going on. And that was the thing. I mean, a bunch of them happened in the late 90s. And so the police were saying that these guys just we went out to the bar. They got too intoxicated. Um, they decided to instead of going home, they decided to go down to the river and hang out, see the view, maybe, you know, meet a girl. I don't know. Right, sure. But whatever happened, that was the last thing they oh, did. Man. And so they would wound up, wind up in the river and pe- they would be found, you know, sometimes a few days later, sometimes mm-hmm. a few months later. And when I was working at the TV station, um, Christopher Jenkins, uh, they talk about him a little bit in the, in the upcoming interview. Mm-hmm. He, uh, this happened to him in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So Christopher Jenkins was at a bar partying in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and fell into the river there. Okay. And his body wasn't found for four months. Oh, man. So, I mean, because of its connection to lacrosse and lacrosse on the Mississippi, Mm -hmm. I mean, this um, was one of the main stories on the lacrosse news for for weeks. Wow, yeah. Well, especially the person's missing for that period of time, and there's someone who's, you know, a college student that's seen a lot. And And, and plus, isn't anywhere, I mean... Like he didn't wasn't even by the river, you know, like the yeah. bars and stuff like that. He went down there and something happened to him. So that's so that's why this particular uh, topic. And I'm sure we're going to talk more about this. But so today we're interviewing. Uh, actually, we've got uh, you know three different people we interview. Our in biggest this. interview to date. Our biggest interview to date. Our, right, the and biggest party of people. I yeah, should say. and so it's like a big paranormal conference call, and. Um, they made a movie called The Hidden Truth right. about this. And what's interesting is it's a little different perspective because uh, there were... So the parents of Christopher Jenkins reached out and they said, there's no way this can be just an accident. There's no way our son just got he drunk and fell that. in the river. Yeah, yeah, they kept on saying that. Plus, it was his birthday. Right. And I, it never added up. Like, the yeah. guy whose birthday it is, everybody just lets him leave the bar and nobody follows yeah, him or anything? a little strange. I mean, more than a little strange. Right. Well, you... Uh, I mean, they reached out to two uh, detectives, um, former New York City uh, police department detectives, uh, Frank Gannon and Anthony Duarte, and they started investigating it right away. Mm-hmm. And so they got into it, and after a couple years, they come up with this theory that it's a serial killer or a group of serial killers who are doing this all along uh, well, I mean they, that stretch of the river, right? Like, that, that that this is happening in several different states, and okay. they say that they see these uh, smiley faces painted, not where the bodies were found, mm-hmm. but where the bodies went in. That's creepy. They said there was always a smiley face next to. How the... How do they know where the body went in? Oh, I guess they just. Well, I guess they're detectives. They're they... detectives. They're good like that. And some <laughs> things, and 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 they do have. I mean, one of the. Um, the last guy that I think I went in lacrosse, that went in lacrosse, they have security cameras. Right. Yep. I saw that. And uh, so they they say that these smiley faces were found near where the people went in. And this is whole theory. And this was big about. Wow. I mean, I'd say seven years ago, two thousand eight, mm-hmm. it kind of took off. These uh, smiley face murder club, that a group of serial killers. Ooh, and that reminds me of 
like a TV show. Right. Something that would be on there. But so a group of not just one, not just one, but a group of like a, like they, a cult or something like that. Yeah. That, that was taking in and, and uh, that was probably torturing. And the reason oh. they would use the river is because they're in the water long enough. The fingerprints are all gone. And a lot of the, um, oh you know, the different That's parts, if they, they kill them in a different way, some of that would disappear yeah. after spending a long enough time in the river. Um, so that's been like the prevailing theory. Okay. I mean, besides the FBI, because the FBI looked into it, La Crosse yeah. police, Minneapolis police, and they all say the same thing, you know, mm. that it's um, these An guys. Unsolved mystery of, yeah. of, but presumably a serial killer or serial killers. Right. And, you know, and the Minneapolis police did move Christopher Jenkins' death to a homicide. Um, well, that's telling. Because there was some jailhouse tip. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. But then still nothing. Wow. You know, so they, you know, they said, well, we, we have some evidence that it is homicide, but we have nothing on they it. can't share. And, and, and it's been a year, you know, it's been a decade yeah. since they did that. So, and there's Gosh. no news. So that's the thing. So the prevailing theory is it's this group of killers, a smiley face murder club that's going through and, and, and killing people by the river. Um, but the people we interviewed today who put together this documentary, The Hidden Truth, they don't think it's a serial killer. They think it might be something else and something supernatural something paranormal, something uh, a lot more mysterious than just a serial killer. Or at least they want to explore those options Mm -hmm. as a possibility, which is something different from anything we've heard before. Yeah, and so that's what what made it fun. Their movie's The Hidden Truth, and we're about to talk to the retired uh, deputy medical examiner from La Crosse County, and then the filmmaker... And the paranormal investigator brought in. So and let's don't forget our friend Allison joins us too. And Allison from Milwaukee goes. She's going to bring in some folklore in a little bit. She's she's done a bunch of research on this, so it's going to be fun. Perfect. So uh, let's take a listen. We are with the people involved with a movie called The Hidden Truth, and uh, that movie is a documentary that came out in 2012 about the uh, mysterious disappearances of a whole bunch of uh, college-age guys in the La Crosse area in the Mississippi River. And um, we are with, number one, Wender. Yes, I'm here. Okay. And <laughs> Allison from Milwaukee Ghost, please say hi. Hey, everybody. Okay. And our special guests today to talk about the hidden truth... Uh, we have Scott Marcus, who is the director of the films. Hi, Scott. Hey, how you guys doing? And uh, Neil Sanders, a former deputy medical examiner in La Crosse County. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thank you. Hi, everybody. And from Wisconsin Paranormal Investigators, Jay Bachochin. Hi, Jay. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having us on. Fantastic, fantastic. So we want to talk about the hidden truth and the weird stuff that is happening in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I used to live in La Crosse, Wisconsin, so I know how weird it can get <laughs> out there. And our band used to play there all the time. Yes. We used to uh, play at a club called the 324 and the Warehouse. And um, we even played at Mount La Crosse one time, and that was a lot of fun. And at the Popcorn. At the Popcorn Tavern. <laughs> now, that, I mean, the thing is, these are places that the, you know, the guys who fell in the river probably went to. And I just hope it wasn't at one of our shows. Mm. Uh, either way, we should probably start with, you know, Neil uh, as, the, as the, like the instigator of this whole thing and, and kind of the, the driving force behind the um, idea to get at what's behind this. 
Um, can you give us a little bit of history? What exactly is going on in lacrosse? Well, since the late 90s, 1996, 97, lacrosse has experienced periodic drownings of uh, young college age men. And over the course of time, up until like 2010, they predominantly seem to fit the same demographic as far as age, interests, uh, being students, uh, and of course, the one most common factor was a very large amount of alcohol on board each of these young men. But for whatever reasons, they ended up in the Mississippi by lacrosse. And uh, the first one or two, you know, you can look at it as an accidental drowning and, and uh, death by misadventure, perhaps, unfortunate circumstances. But as... I hate to say it this crudely, but as the bodies accumulated and there was no evidence of foul play, nothing at all to indicate a good reason why these young men were doing this sort of thing, the discontent among the residents uh, in the city kind of grew. Right. And um, I remember I used to work at uh, News Channel 8 during this time. And so that was when Christopher Jenkins went missing in... Minnesota. And that was a big deal. That was a story we led with, you know, almost every day for like a week or two when they were searching for him. And is there a, you know, and was there a connection uh, to what was happening? And like you say, discontent. And, and I think when I first moved to lacrosse, even it was as in 2000, even my mother said, well, watch out when you go drinking by the river. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, somebody's killing people your age. And so that is, that does, you know, seem to be you know, something. And uh, I was going to say, like, you know, Jay, how did, you know, how did you react when you heard about this from Neil? Was this something you'd have heard of before? You know, actually, it it's not. Um, you know, I get an email from a Neil Sanders out in lacrosse, and I'm like, who is this guy? He's talking about another drowning uh, about Craig Myers. And I honestly must be living under a rock out here in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin. <laughs> but uh, I, I really didn't follow it. Um but not until, uh, you know, Neil and I really started to uh, uh, talk more. And uh, while we went out on the investigation, yeah, I mean, I learned all about it then. And it just kind of blew me away. Well, why did, you know, and were you, did you think that might be weird that was a, a paranormal? Like, what? Like how would the paranormal be involved here? Well, that's just it. Neil, um, you know, he gave us a call because, well, you know, science couldn't seem to figure it out. Uh, the forensics or, you know, the any of the authorities, any investigations. So next best thing to look at, to look for nothing, is to look for a paranormal group, and that was us. So, uh, you know, you know, going in with our take on it, it, it was kind of an X-File, you know, and that's exactly sure. what we do. You know, we hunt the truth, and uh, whether, you know, whether it's ghosts, aliens, you, you name it, that's what we're going to do. But, you know, we, we take everything serious, and... We went out there uh, and having to look at all, you know, the evidence and doing our investigation to see if we could find a smoking gun. And 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 Scott, what was the um, what was the impetus behind making a movie about it? Like, how did how did you get involved? Did you did you know these guys from a different thing or did they find you or how did you guys go about say, let's make a movie? 
Yeah, I, I do know Jay. I used to actually host a radio show out of Kenosha uh, on uh, WLIP talking about the paranormal. Okay. And so that's how uh, Jay and I first met. And my background is in filmmaking, but it's also, I've always had a big interest in the paranormal. I wrote a book called Voices from the Chicago Grave, and it did a very amateurish documentary in the late 90s on haunted Chicago. So, you know, the, the, the filmmaking life and the paranormal interest have always gone kind of hand in hand. And it was actually uh, Jay that approached me with the concept of, you know, maybe we could explore uh, doing a documentary. It, is, it wasn't set in stone yet, but, you know, he, he kind of brought it up to me asking, do you think this would make a good story? Uh, good enough, you know, an interesting story for a documentary. And I just, the sheer concept alone of bringing a paranormal methodology to a crime scene, that alone was a great unique different story that i hadn't seen before so i was pretty interested right off the bat and, and you know what what i thought was was great about it and um i didn't even know you guys were going into something paranormal with this when you know i was i was watching the movie yeah same here i was thinking it'd be more um the investigation of the the serial killer theory or you know just some additional leads or something like that the hidden truth like some kind of a Right, I'm conspiracy like, thing or what's so hidden? Some dudes is you know is throwing kids into the river, but it. Yeah. And I thought like uh, as soon as it went to uh, a paranormal thing, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that before. Right. <laughs> and and you talk about that in the movie a little a little bit, Neil. You know, you talk about the smiley face murder theory, and how it doesn't quite add up. And for a lot of people around the country, when those uh, two detectives were on Coast to Coast AM, that was probably the first they've heard of that. You know, of, of the first they heard of those poor guys, what happened to them. What about the smiley face stuff didn't add up for you? Well, initially, there was just a smiley face uh, button that was found somewhere. Wherever, uh, maybe the Tribune picked up on it. And that brought that to the fore. But that was a very vague reference, more of a coincidence than anything else. Uh, I think that if anything, it wasn't given much more credence than uh, a crude red herring, perhaps. Uh, maybe to draw some attention to what was going on, perhaps, in that, that aspect. But beyond that, uh, all it takes, you know, like I mentioned in the movie sometimes is one, uh, well, what if, or I think it's this, or I think it's that. And if it gets enough play, whether through social media or conventional media, then it's out there. It's going to be talked about every time. We lost you for a little bit at the beginning of that then. So what was found in lacrosse was like a, a smiley face button near when, where one of the guys went into the river? That is my understanding, that it was uh, by a lamppost, I believe. Uh, I can't speak to 100%, but that's my understanding. But, you, I mean, it hasn't been something that's been taken serious by the lacrosse police. No. Uh, the, uh, the official party line, of course, uh, with reasonable justification, is that this is just uh, young people getting drunk and becoming disoriented and falling victim to, to the river. Uh, we have no other evidence to show that it's anything but that. But after nine or 10 cases, it occurred to me that perhaps the lack of any kind of concrete evidence might be evidence in itself. Right. And you know, I think you guys really do it well in the movie when you're talking about going to 
lacrosse and you're saying, you know, somebody is saying like, yeah, I used to pay like $5 for a wristband and get a, you know, a pitcher for a penny and the kind of, um, like how cheap the drinks are, you know, really like that. One of the places we used to play at, remember it was like a quarter, quarter power hour. Yeah. Power hour is quarter beers between 9 and 11 like that's not a happy hour that's going out time so that really like that's uh and that's you know danger you know it, that might have been dangerous but as speaking as someone who's walked along the river and you guys uh show it you know in the movie um what would compel them to jump in like go or to f- go toward it even like when everything else is in the other direction you know, and, and a lot of the stories, like it would be like the the guys would leave without even their friends following them. Like you know, it was Christopher Jenkins' birthday, and he got all messed up, and his friends just let him leave the bar. I always thought that was weird. Like when it's your buddy's birthday, and they're you know they're all messed up, you t- you kind of you're supposed to take care of them. So all of his friends just you know that oh he's just gonna go home, he'll be fine. Didn't even think about it. And, you know, why would he go towards the river? I mean, even if he was disoriented. And I think that that's, let's talk about the paranormal explanation. Why, why would they go in the river? And, and Jay, um, what were some of the theories that you guys were working on? Well, we did have, a, you know, the theory of, uh, actually a couple different theories. One being Lorelei, you know, the serpent spirit siren woman um, that sat, you know, on the shoreline and called boats in with a beautiful voice and, you know, lead the ships into shore to crash them. Um, so we kind of thought of something like that a little bit, you know, we, we did think of a siren, um, but some of that was almost, a well, some of it kind of confirmed when we talked to the, uh, Ho-Chunk elder, uh, Preston Thomas, where he was saying, um, you know, that the, he was talking about the water spirits and that actually blew us away. Cause that was the first time we heard that and we already started coming up with a theory, you know, we kept going out there thinking, you know, is there a Medusa of the Mississippi? Well, you know, I mean, we don't know. Right. <laughs> That's the reason for the investigation, of course, but we were looking at all these different possibilities of either the siren, the water spirits, and even with the war Eagle, uh, which is in the documentary, um, about Mary Olich, uh being one of a young woman who died during that fire in 1870. Uh, so what was the War Eagle again? So the War Eagle was like a steam, was it a steam-powered ship? Yes, yes. And actually it, it burned right on the dock, um, a barrel fire. I believe that's what the, uh, the story was, the, the, um, where it, a lot of people all got off, but a few, there was a few fatalities. Um, but, you know, at the same time we're thinking, you know, you think of the paranormal events of anything tragically happening, you know, is it possible that she could have, you know, died or spirit still in that part of the water and she is desperately trying to be saved and she's calling out and it maybe it's, it's only affecting, uh, you know, younger men who are already intoxicated getting to that next level that they can hear it. Maybe that's what's drawing them. Um, like a like a drunken dog whistle. Yeah, well, you kind of. I mean, seriously, kind of. It. You know, we we don't know. We're we're trying to expand on all the possibilities. Allison, I know you were doing some research on this too. With and, and you found some Wisconsin legends of the Waterman. Who's the Waterman? Yeah, well, that was really exciting for me. Um, I was looking at some note from 
the Works Progress Administration. Uh, that was a, a New Deal thing uh, during uh, the Great Depression to give like university people and researchers and well, all people from all walks of life jobs. But one of the jobs was to go around and collect Wisconsin folklore. So um, they have a, a very long uh, document available through uh, the Wisconsin Historical Society, which shows all the notes. And I was fascinated to find out about the Waterman. I had never heard of, of that before. And it's actually of Slavic origin. And I'm just going to read a little bit from the notes and see what you guys think about this. Now, the Waterman is not a devil, but he will try also to get your soul. He is not a ghost, for there are villagers who have actually seen him. His castle is situated in the deepest part of the river. His family consists of three generations. They can be seen walking on the water at any time, save the ringing of the angelus during the noon hour. Then they lurk in the castle, and woe betide the boy who is swimming there at the time. For the waterman ties a hair from a horse's tail around his big toe, drags him down, and drowns him. He seizes the boy's soul and thrusts it into a tripod over an open hearth. The soil boils for one year. So there's some more to it, but just reading that, I was, I was startled that it specifically addresses boys being captured um, along the water um, by the spirit. That's and, gruesome, and, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, that no, horse, it's that horse's hair that scares yeah, me. Yeah. His, big, his big toe? Yeah, well, that's, that's what it says. But the idea of getting dragged and the idea that, that it, it specifically went after boys. Um, and to me, reading that, I was like, what, am I reading creepypasta here? But, right. <laughs> but then you look at the date, and it's from 1937. Wow. And that was really compelling to me. Uh, and there's a lot of legends like this throughout the world. This is a, a, a legend that um, is Slavic in, in origin. So, you know. But there's also the, the Kelpie. <laughs> right. From, uh, from Brit Great Britain is that like, the Kelpie is a woman that leads you into the water to kill you. Right. And it's, you know, it's supposed, like it's a horse-like creature. But the, but the thing is, is that, and, we, and, we, and in, the, in the movie they talk about the water spirits and, and the Ho-Chunk legends and the idea is around the world there are legends of things in the water that try to lead you there and kill you and that was something i i mean that was something i never even thought of yeah i thought that was that was the part that really captured my attention was when you were talking to the ho-chunk gentleman and like you said i hadn't heard any of that before and having grown up and lived in wisconsin my entire life that seems like something that i would have maybe heard or encountered by now, but, uh, yeah. And, and, and I want to say thanks Allison for forwarding me that email on there because that is something I have not heard. And we do extensive research, but again, the notes that you found look like they were maybe emailed from 1937, but very interesting stuff. You know, I mean, I just heard of, you know, Jaws and or Nessie, you know, the, the underwater spirits back when I was growing up. I really didn't uh, hear about a lot of these. So I, I'm still doing the research, even though our documentary is is complete. 
you know, we still feel like it's not over. It's always an ongoing thing. Can always have a sequel. Yeah. That's been the hidden truth. <laughs> The hidden truth too, the the truthiest or something. Um, <laughs> truth, truth harder. Um, but the thing, so I mean, Native American legends, the siren song. I mean that that links right into to the pop culture part of our podcast and the Odyssey. I mean, the siren is what. Um, I mean, Odysseus is on his way back to Greece from the Trojan War, and then when when they're going past the siren, he makes all of his men put beeswax in, in their ears so they don't get seduced. But he wants to hear what she sounds like. And so he he has them, they tie him up to the mast, and he goes, no matter what, don't let me go. And he's screaming, and that he, uh, you know, he's just screaming, and he's mad, and it's driving him crazy. He has to get towards her, and he's tied up and won't do it. Right. And, um... Oh, I was just going to say, and the, the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on the Odyssey. Right, which is obviously based on that, but that was that was a big, you know, that particular scene was remade in that mm-hmm. movie in an interesting way. But it also reminded me of the episode a couple shows back when we were talking about The Wicker Man with the, um, the song that we covered. Oh, yeah, Willow's song. <laughs> that was a little bit of a siren song, too, so. Yeah, she was leading him, <laughs> leading him to his demise. Not into the water, but... But right, but to the loss of his sexual innocence, and uh, you know, you guys did investigations in the areas where um, you, um, so where the where the Golden Eagle had uh, sank. You guys, you know, you you brought a boat over that, and then brought a couple of psychics, and then also brought some equipment, and then some weird stuff happened with that equipment when you did that. Can you tell us about that, Scott? Yeah. It was really amazing, and I think the the more I think about it and look back on it, the more it stands out as being incredible, I guess. Um, <clears throat> it was like clockwork in a way. I mean, we went out there, we had a, a boat and a, a captain, and it was basically a high-end fishing boat, and plenty of room for Jay and a fellow investigator to be on the boat, and then for me to be there with my lights and camera and cover it. And... We could tool around all we want, and everything was fine, but just about when we're about ready to get started actually filming, doing the actual documentary, not just enjoying being on the boat, uh, we only get a couple of seconds in, and we lose all power. There's an immense battery drain on these two huge batteries that should have been able to keep us out there for at least six hours, uh, but gone in an an instant. And Obviously, anybody that's familiar with the paranormal, battery drain is something that happens with equipment. That sometimes if there's something out there, it'll just pull energy from wherever it can find it. And we had a lot of it right there. And in a moment, it was gone. It was really quite breathtaking. Scott, that was actually the uh, the EVP we caught or, you know, whatever that was after the fact. It was about 20 seconds ish uh, before the. Yeah, it was like it, moments before. Right. Yeah. I call that the iPhone dilemma. Whenever, whenever I decide to get in the car or go for a run, then my battery drains immediately. <laughs> um, you know, we, we had that, you know, we had that happen though. Um, in Wausau, in or Merrill. Merrill, Merrill, in Merrill, after a show, we we played at this at this club in Merrill, and they're like, "Oh yeah, the basement's totally haunted," and we had our uh, video camera with us, and we're like, "Oh yeah, let's go to," the, and the video cameras, um, the battery was at least half charged. And we'd hardly used it all night. And we like to go to these things prepared. We made sure the batteries yeah. Yeah, half charged. Half charged. Well, and we were half charged. Why bother charging it completely? I mean, really, we were half charged too after it, you know, playing for three hours, and and so um, went downstairs and immediately just 
off. And it, and it was terrifying down there too, by right. the way. <laughs> so, I mean, we've experienced the same kind of thing and just an interesting kind of thing. Like, how does that, like, how... You can't, scientifically, you can't explain it. Like, mm-hmm. you know. No, especially because it, it really happened more than, it happened twice in a, in a very profound way. The other time, it wasn't a battery drain, but it was uh, an equipment malfunction. And it was when we were doing that little interview with Neil, and I believe it was Preston, another one, one of mm-hmm. the... Um, ho-chunk elders well, i've got them both mic'd up they're on individual wireless mics and um i've got the camera rolling as we're just setting up lights getting kind of footage of them talking and you can hear them talking about the weather or whatever they were talking about just fine and as soon as we began the interview both mics it was as if the government put a blackout on it because <laughs> right. we were still picking up the mics but they were solid hard static both microphones so something definitely interfered, again, right as we we're about to get down to business. Yeah, that's interesting timing. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. would say. And, um, you know, the, also, you know, you guys try to take some EVPs with this particular thing. And, and you got a couple of interesting things. Can you, can you describe a little bit of the evidence that you did here and where you actually did the EVP stuff? Uh, we actually, well, we did it on the Mississippi. <laughs> well, actually, it was, and I, I just mean because it's the Mississippi is pretty large, um, right? But we did it right in front of uh, Riverside Park, I believe, is right where the battery drain, wasn't it, Scott? Right around I there. I believe so. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and of course, we didn't hear this, uh, you know, while it was recording. Um, you, you take that any type of chance when you are out doing anything outdoors because you don't have a controlled environment. So, you know, any sound that you pick up, you know, it could be anything. I mean, the way the water swooshes or somebody zips up, you know, a bag on the boat, you don't know. But uh, this, what we caught, I, it's so hard. It almost sounds like a cry, but not from a child. Um, And it's so hard to explain. You would actually have to hear it. But it's something we did not hear when it was caught, and then the battery drain. Okay. Oh yeah, that that part freaked me out. I was watching it in bed late last night, and uh, <laughs> that was when I was like, oh, "Okay, well, uh, it, it, turn the light on." And, right. And the thing is, we go through all the evidence. You know? <laughs> we go through the evidence. Um, you know, you're putting your headphones on, uh, you're listening for er- any type of sound, and you're trying to do it as quickly as you can because you were just there, but. Mm-hmm. As well, Scott, uh, his camera picked it up too, so it was not our equipment. So we don't know what that was. Hmm. And and you guys did have the theory of, um, I mean, the uh, the ghost of Mary Ulrich. Mm-hmm. And why her in particular? Was she just the most evil of the bunch, or I mean, what was? I think what, I think she was. No, really, kind of the opposite. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, you well, I was going to say the opposite. I think she's the most sympathetic character because she was on her way to a family wedding I believe when she, when she passed on so there might be the strongest emotional charge and the community outpouring could feed into that at the time as well that's my opinion yeah Mary, Mary Ulrich uh, worked for her uncle who had the German newspaper in La Crosse and the population was predominantly of German extraction so she delivered the newspapers acted as a a gatherer of news. So she was quite uh, a popular young lady in the city of La Crosse. 
and her demise under such tragic circumstances, as you read the articles in uh, the paper that were written at the time, it really struck the community hard that uh, she would pass in this manner. Uh, her father or her uncle, when he put her on the board, placed her in the care of the ship's barber. And when the bodies were recovered after uh, the boat sank in the tragedy, uh, the bodies were discovered to be uh, holding hands. So to all uh, purposes, it looked as if the barber uh, made an effort to try and save her uh, at the last minute desperately and, uh, of course, wasn't successful. Oh, that's so tragic. You know, one thing I, I was going to say to you, Neil, is that now you, uh, you've been a lacrosse resident uh, all of your life. You, you know, worked in lacrosse. And um, looking for these alternative explanations, have you had any kind of backlash or anything from like that from your uh, colleagues? Well, uh, fortunately for me, uh, the medical examiner at the time I was the deputy was also one of my best friends. Uh, we'd worked uh, professionally as uh, ambulance EMTs. So when I retired, from the medical examiner's office. I was still plugged in, you might say. And I went to John after I got motivated to do this, uh, basically to get his blessing, if you will, and, and let him know that I was going to open a private investigation in the paranormal. So while he couldn't officially sanction what we did, he had knowledge of what we were doing and he actually viewed uh, our movie when it was completed. What, what, how do you feel is the uh, reception that The Hidden Truth um, has gotten since you screened it at the Chicago Paranormal Conference in, in uh, October of 2012? Well, I want to make uh, one comment. Please do. When we were, uh, the movie was completed and we were looking for venues to share the movie in lacrosse. One of the places that I approached was uh, the La Crosse Public Library. They have a uh, film night on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I believe, where they, they screen films. And uh, I believe I even uh, sent them a copy of the DVD or perhaps uh, just in my conversation with them. Anyway, they turned down the movie as... Uh, not quite right for their film night and perhaps a little too controversial for their audience. But before it could actually premiere, they did order two copies for their uh, library to be shared with the general <laughs> public. Interesting. But still a little too controversial for the Lacrosse Public Library movie night, which I heard was a big hit. <laughs> So that's, uh, no, that's, that's too bad. And what are you guys, I mean, Scott, as a filmmaker, um, what's some of the reactions that you've got? Well, you know, Neil and Jay are way closer to it, uh, still being local out there. I'm in California, so I, I'm not privy to as much face-to-face -face communication. But the, what I have, and obviously I, I was there at the Paranormal Conference in Chicago, um, but I was not at the screenings that they had up in Onalaska. <clears throat> but what I've noticed is that the response has been so positive from people that have seen it. Uh, 
people go in usually not knowing what to expect and then walk out saying, wow, that's really thought provoking. And I've, you know, we don't tell people what to think or what the answer is because we don't know still. Uh, but we present a lot of information and it's kind of opened people's minds to other ideas, which I think is ultimately a huge success. Um, but anytime we, you see any negative comments, it's usually on a, a message board on a news station that wrote an article or something. And the article might be written well and indifferent, impartial, but you'll get some people commenting, you know, as the internet likes to do. Right. <laughs> hate, haters going to hate. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Troll's it's, it's always troll. from people that haven't totally. It's always from people that haven't seen the film, though. So I think that that's what really speaks volumes. Is that if you give it an opportunity to open your mind, it usually does. Absolutely. And Jay, are you um, are you as famous as the Ghost Hunters now, or what's I mean, what's going on? Did you just like did you do you show the movie at parties and stuff? No, <clears throat> I'm just Jay. That's what I say. <laughs> <clears throat> you know what? When we started this, we started out. <clears throat> to document for ourselves. That's why we called Scott. That's why we were out there. <clears throat> Our intentions were never to uh, go bank with this and become, you know, Jay Bachochin of, you know, Wisconsin Paranormal Investigators. Or right, or right. Maybe Scott. No, I'm just joking. Um, but honestly, but on a serious note, we were doing this in hopes to uh, show this in the lacrosse area. And I believe we, we did that. And, it, you know, we were there, this was last September, you know, we had some posters, people wanted us to sign them, and, you know, you kind of have that, that feel of, wow, we really achieved something. But when it was all done, it was, we did it, you know, this, this is what we were trying to do. And after the smoke clears, I'm still just Jay, and I'm okay with that. Right. Uh, well, you know, I think as an alternative to the idea that a group of, like there's a, there's a club of serial killers roaming the countryside, throwing people in on the I-94 corridor, or I-90, I mean, corridor. Um, uh, I think an alternative to that idea totally makes sense because I always found the smiley face theory hard to believe in that, why hasn't anybody talked about it? You know what I mean? Like if, it's a, if, it's a, if there's like 50 people who are part of this organization, how can it, how can it not have somebody have cracked at some time or, um, you know, just been caught doing something else and to try to get out of it? They're like, hey, well, you know, I, I am part of this murder club uh, and try to cut a plea deal or something. It just it just seems to me like it. Um, I never thought I would say that a a ghost in a lake makes more sense than a serial killer, <laughs> but a ghost in the lake makes more sense than a serial killer. Um and, and I just, I think that's a really interesting uh, interpretation of it. Yeah, and I, I really appreciated how you guys uh, were so methodical and so scientific with everything that it, it really was, you know, convincing. It's, you know, as you were pointing out with the different statistics of how many campuses there are that have water features close by and bars where people binge drink and none of the other locations. Right. And, and, and this is what I'll always say is the word paranormal does not mean ghost. Mm -hmm. It does mean ghosts, but it also means anything not normal. Um, and it's still not normal. So it, it still makes this, uh, you know, the drownings out there in lacrosse, uh, it, it's still the mystery. Thus the question mark at the end of The Hidden Truth because of what Neil and Scott have said. 
we're just trying to give you guys a, you know, something else to think about besides the smiley face killers. Definitely. And I, and what I was going to say, when you talk about the other college campuses, you know, Winona, Minnesota, the bars are way closer to the river than they are in La Crosse. And we all know that Minnesotans can't hold their liquor like Wisconsin people can. So you would think people be dropping the people be dropping in the river there every other week. Um, and, and it's and it's true because Levy Park right there, you could literally uh, it's like two and a half blocks from the bar that we were filming mm-hmm. in front of. And you could literally just walk. Right, there's nothing there to stop you. And right across the Mississippi uh, and the Wisconsin side, you've got a beach where you're seeing families swimming. So it's like, right. why isn't it happening in Winona or these beaches or whatnot? Sure. What's, what's drawing in lacrosse that's not drawing them in other places? Right. Yeah. And that was the other, the other you know, a paranormal possibility is the way the, um, the rivers meet there, the Wisconsin River, the Black River, and the Mississippi – they all converge right in front of La Crosse at Riverside Park. And yeah, and so you have a, you know, a lot of different energies. Is there any, you know, I was thinking about the Golden Eagle. And I was thinking about the... Um, the, the, war, the, the War Eagle? The, I'm sorry, the War... The, yeah, sorry, the Golden... I don't know why I was thinking about Golden <laughs> Eagles. It's probably a casino. Um, but the, uh, the, war, the War Eagle. And then I was also thinking about... Um, those, you know, the, the Native American tragedies that occurred near there too, the, the massacres. And thinking, is, is, is it some, like, is there something cursed about that area? Or, or maybe just because so much tragedy has occurred there, like they were saying, so many very strong emotional events occurred. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I think Neil could feel that, that answer to that question. Yeah. Well... Yeah, you don't want to put the word cursed on. Of course, uh, the area, uh, the the Native Americans uh, regard the area right there around Riverside Park as a very sacred area. Okay, it's a very spiritual area for them. I remember early in our investigation when we were still just sort of floundering around as to which direction we're going to go. I speculated that it would be interesting to find a Native American to talk to because I got the feeling that Riverside Park was a very spiritual place and I wanted to get their take on it and we were blessed not only with two American uh, Native Americans to come and talk with us on the movie but Preston is an elder in the medicine clan, which is, uh, that's the spiritual people. He's a shaman. And if anyone could speak about their cultural beliefs, it was this man. And it was uh, a dream of a lifetime to sit at a uh, fire and talk with a Native American and just get a glimpse into some of their culture and how it relates to them even today. Uh, Something that I don't think a lot of people, I know none of the other white men that I know of could ever say they had an opportunity like that. Ever since I was a kid watching cowboy movies, and I I always felt more attuned with the Native Americans than I did with the cowboys. I don't know if maybe that was uh, something to do with the past life, perhaps. Mm. 
I thought that was interesting because uh, it was good to get that kind of perspective uh, in the in the movie. And you know, too often, a lot of times when we talk about Native American legends, they're just kind of thrown on there as the usual. Like people be like, "Oh, you know, there was a burial mound there too," or something. Mm-hmm. Just, they don't they don't yep. even go into any kind of detail or talk to anybody about it. It's just like some somebody told them one time that there was a burial mound there, and they just use that uh, to say like, "Well, it must be haunted." And without any kind of even like investigation or taking into account the culture. And so, um, you know, water spirits and the Kelpie and the water man and the siren and, and just the idea that um, there's something in the water, um, you know, and, and there might be something in the water in lacrosse uh, is that's what the hidden truth is all about. And when people want to get a copy, they want to see the movie or they want to contact you guys where they might have uh, interest in the, I mean, I know a lot of people have interest in the case or uh, if they have any leads or anything like that, where is the best place that they can get in touch with you? Well, we can actually uh, go right to www.hiddentruthproductions.com. Okay, hiddentruthproductions.com, and that's got the contact information, and it also has a trailer. Yes, it does. Okay, if people would like to see what the movie's all about, and we'll uh, embed the YouTube trailer in the show notes, so if you're looking at the show notes while you're listening to the podcast, uh, you can get a little taste of what the hidden truth is all about. Um, anything else to cover that we might have missed, or anything that you, you guys you feel want to you know, get across a little bit? Well, I'll say that there's also the um, the Facebook page as well, if people wanted to reach out that way. And um, I know I'll be at the uh, Chicago Ghost Conference, which is the first weekend in October. Um, I, I do not know if the movie is going to be screened there, but we might be invited to do that. I, I kind of hope that happens. Uh, but if, if anybody is in the area, uh, first weekend in, in October, uh, take a look at ChicagoHauntings.com for info on that one. And go meet Scott at the Chicago Paranormal Conference. Absolutely. And uh, I just wanted to thank you guys because, like I said, I, I, I think it's really interesting just exploring those roads. You could be opening doors to other possibilities in the investigation. And, I mean, hopefully some, some answers will come out someday that will help the families have closure and help you know, prevent future tragedies from happening. So. Hey, you know what? Just be, like I said, just because the documentary is over <clears throat> does not mean our investigations over we've got neil out there right right in the thick of it um and i you know i'm just a four-hour drive away i could always call scott and get scott down here too right scott oh yeah oh yeah Um, but but the thing is but that's how serious we take it you know i actually have not only neil but uh, a few friends i've made during our our premiere in alaska um that have friended me and they're they're throwing me tribune stuff that you might only see over there. Um, so it gives us all this information uh, to constantly keep a look at and keep uh, documenting it. Okay. And if people want to get in touch with the Wisconsin Paranormal Investigators, what's your site, Jay? Uh, it's wpihuntsthetruth.com. And if you've got a ghost that needs busted, uh, yeah. call Jay and let's check it out. Well, you know, there, there is a link, uh, a submission link, actually, uh, right on the homepage that it, it's to report any paranormal, whether it's, uh, you know, ghost in the basement, uh, Bigfoot standing in your backyard, um, you know, UFO land over. I'm actually working on a few different things, but it, it's 100% confidential. It doesn't go on social media or anything like that, but sure. it gives me and the public uh, to be able to hunt the truth. That's the only way to do it because I can't go door to door 
And I can't keep looking up in the skies 24 seven because I do have a family and a job. Right. I do need to sleep. <laughs> but, you know, this is the best way to keep, uh, you know, investigating the truth is to have those submissions. So, you know, I've got a few that I'm working on right now, I'm, I'm, you know, keep it going. And maybe sometime or another, we find that truth. Okay. Allison, any more questions or anything you want to add? Uh, I just wanted to thank everybody uh, for producing the movie just because, you know, as we were talking about it, it gives us other ideas uh, for what might be going on there. And perhaps it is some kind of uh, paranormal creature that shows up in different areas. Uh, and right now it might be in La Crosse, but who's to say it won't pick up and, and uh, affect another community at another point in time? So it's interesting to, to just think about that as another possibility to watch out for. And I also think it honors, um, you know, the, the poor guys that lost their lives in the river. And it, it says something that, you know what, there's something here we don't know about. They just didn't get blasted and walk into the river. Right. You know, it, it's saying that um, something else might be up and let's just not blame them for what happened that you know it could be something else so i think i think it does a great job of honoring the memories of those guys who um you know had this tragedy happen to them and the families and stuff and it, it gives them something else to think about rather than you know but i mean still warning to everybody don't drink too much of walking you know walk near the water like be careful always watch out always be careful and that's about it so once again thanks guys thank, thank you for you. having us on thank you and Thank you, guys. Good luck with everything. So those guys were pretty interesting. And uh, make sure you check out that Hidden Truth movie. And for our song this week, well, we couldn't resist that the name is so... Um, it's the kind of name that lends itself to a song title. It sure does. So this one's called The Smiley Face Murder Club.
for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. You smell it?